0: Joe Donnelly backs President Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominee. Lawmakers take a step closer to making state superintendent an appointed position. That plus cold beer sales controversy again and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending April 7th, 2017.
1: Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.
0: This week, Democratic U.S. Senator Joe Donnelly announced his support for Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch. Donnelly becomes the third Democrat to back Judge Neil Gorsuch. In a statement, Donnelly said after meeting with Gorsuch, he believes the Trump nominee is qualified and well-respected. Donnelly does say he's disappointed President Barack Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland, wasn't considered by the GOP-controlled Senate last year. I also decided that two wrongs didn't make a right and that it was uh, my obligation and job to look at uh, Judge Gorsuch on his credentials and not on any uh, past uh, past battles or fights, and on credentials, he is clearly qualified to be on the court. Conservative groups, including the Republican National Committee, have run ads in Indiana aimed at Donnelly, urging him to vote for Gorsuch. Donnelly is up for re-election in 2018. Is Joe Donnelly betraying his party? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Mark Williams, Republican Joey Fox. John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Katzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House reporter Brandon Smith. Joey Fox, is Donnelly voting on behalf of Hoosiers or
1: betraying his party? Joe Donnelly is voting on behalf of Joe Donnelly. He, we've got him in a box. So he's sitting there as the most vulnerable Democratic senator in the 2018 cycle. He's got very few legislative accomplishments to show and he's sitting as a Democrat in a very red state. He's in a box, and he's voting on his own behalf. He's a politician. Is is Joe Donnelly betraying Democrats
2: with this vote? Oh, I don't think that he's betraying Democrats. I, I think that he's doing what he thinks is best um, based off of what his constituency is telling him and what he's thinking about um, going forward with an election coming up in the coming years for him. So um, I, I don't think he's betraying anyone by doing that
0: but do you think he do you think democratic voters in twenty eighteen will remember this vote and, and, and look poorly on it
2: if democratic voters can remember that in the midst of everything else then kudos to them for remembering that but i think <laughs> there are probably um, going to be some bigger things that people are going to need to remember
0: john ketzenberger is this happen to be the right decision that coincides with the right political decision
3: i think for for joe donnelly it does and i think marks make makes an excellent point uh, there's a lot to happen. And just think about the first 75 days of the Trump administration and all that has occurred in that period of time. Uh, I think that when Democrats particularly are going to the ballot, they'll say, okay, my choice is this Republican, probably Luke Messer, maybe Todd Rokita, somebody like that, or Joe Donnelly. Joe Donnelly's done well for Democrats, I think, in, in terms of... Uh, Uh, his his record so far he's chosen veteran is veterans issues Um, he's been down the line he hasn't been one way or the other Uh, and I think they'll excuse if they have to this vote for uh, Gorsuch Um, I don't think Republicans will care one way or the other so he's going to have to win moderates and this is a kind of a vote that will at least not turn off moderates.
0: Conservative groups have run a lot of ads in this state, as well as other states, but in this state targeting Joe Donnelly and his vote uh, for Neil Gorsuch before he had made the decision. Do you think that played a role in this decision? No. I mean, certainly there were a lot of ads and $1.3 million
4: worth of them, I think, in terms of what aired in this state. But I think even if there had been not a single spot aired, for reasons we've discussed previously, the political landscape as such and the the voting history, actually, of Joe Donnelly as such that a Gorsuch vote, a positive vote, would make sense. Uh, it kind of maintains the notion that he isn't just a rubber stamp, that he has uh, sometimes exercised an independence that, that Hoosier voters probably find attractive. Uh, so, so I don't think, I don't want to say money wasted, uh, certainly for broadcast outlets in the state it was, uh, I'm sure they'd say money well spent, but <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, I don't think it ultimately uh, made a lot of difference. And back to your original question, was this for Joe Donnelly or for his party? I would suggest that the best thing that Joe Donnelly can do for his party is actually win re-election. And this is the best path to doing that.
0: Will this issue come up in, in the 2018 election? Do you think this vote will make a difference then?
1: I think the top issues in the 2018 election are going to be uh, Joe Donnelly's support for Obamacare, Joe Donnelly's support for Nancy Pelosi when he was in the House, support for Chuck Schumer in the, in the Senate. I think we've got a long list of issues uh, that are going to be used against uh, Senator Donnelly. This is a Republican state. We're going to have a Republican representing it in the Senate. Well,
0: time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question is Senator Joe Donnelly betraying Democrats by voting for President Trump's Supreme Court nominee? A, yes, or B, no. Last week's question, who's to blame for the House's failure to even vote on a federal health care reform bill? 18% say it's Speaker Paul Ryan. 46% blame factions within the House GOP. 31% put the onus on President Donald Trump. And 5% say it's Democrats to blame. If you would like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org IWIR and look for the poll. A bill making state superintendent of public instruction an appointed position took a step closer to becoming law this week. A couple months ago, the Senate rejected its bill to make the state's elected schools chief an appointed position. Around the same time, House lawmakers approved their version. The Senate changed the House version before voting on it. Enough, says President Pro Tem David Long, to skirt Senate rules barring them from hearing an issue that had been defeated. The bill now requires appointees to have lived in the state for at least two years, have an advanced degree, and work experience in schools. It also pushes back the date when the position is no longer elected from 2021 to 2025. Mark Williams, are those qualifications adequate to make this a good idea?
2: I don't think that they are. I think it still should be an elected position. Um, I think what it does do, though, is takes away from conversations that need to happen about public education, which would be combating poverty, um, because we know that that's the number one indicator of uh, child success level and education is poverty. And then beyond that, how are we going to retain and uh, attract more teachers to our state with uh, struggling funding and just poor funding issues across the state? So having this conversation just seems like something to do. And it's not really going to change anything for students that are going to go to school every day and teachers that are going to come in and prepare to meet children at the door and do the best things for them and their families, so.
0: Is this a conversation that can, and, and is this an outcome that can have a, a difference in public education in this state?
1: Yeah, I mean, to to my, my friend Mark, and I think he's, he's taken, taken back decades of Democratic and Republican wish, wishes on this issue. Governors going back, going back decades, have said this should be an appointed position. Uh, we spend over 50% of our general fund dollars on K-12 through education in this state. That is a huge proportion of our budget. And it only makes sense that the people that carry out education policy should be the same ones that are making education policy. So this should be under the governor. That's who's gonna ultimately be accountable for it. And I think however we need to get there from the individual qualifications that get placed in this bill as we kind of finish out the session, I think what's important is it gets done and we have a unified education system in the state.
0: Even with the qualifications, it was still for the Senate at least a fairly close vote, twenty-eight twenty. 20 um, do you think at this point that that the House can go along with all these uh, these changes?
4: Well, conference committee is an interesting season. Uh, any, <laughs> anything could happen, um, and often does. So, uh, but in all likelihood, uh, there might be some agreement around this. Think how surprised, frankly, everybody was, except for the members of the Senate who voted it down, think how surprised everyone else was. Uh, Keep in mind this is one of the five pillars that uh, Eric Holcomb had presented prior to the session uh, that that made up his 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 legislative agenda. agenda. So I think uh, this gives, uh, breathes new life into uh, his legislative team in terms of working uh, behind the scenes or out. In front, either way, to, to make sure that he can, uh, at the end of the session, when he stands in front of the easel with the various, you know, statements and check boxes, he can put a check box in that, in that mark. But keep in mind, I would just observe that for those who've argued that the reason, one reason to do this is that we were an outlier as a state, that, you know, what, what an oddity that we we well, have an elected uh, position here. Keep in mind that this is going to be, if this passes in this fashion, this will be, make us still an outlier and an oddity because it's not as simple as elected or not elected. A lot of states have something that's sort of in the middle in terms of uh, elected school boards or boards of education for instance that choose them where there still is some opportunity for the electorate to exercise its wishes. So we went from outlier, potentially we're going to outlier. It's, It's not as if we're now in step with everybody else in the country.
0: One of the arguments surrounding this bill has been that when you're voting for the governor you're not voting it for solely for education reasons. There are a lot of other reasons that you vote for a governor. This was a chance for, the Hoosier, uh, for Hoosier voters to really make a, an education statement at the ballot box. Do you think that argument holds water?
3: I think it's a logical argument. Um, we're, in that argument, assuming that Hoosier voters are going into the booth with that kind of thinking, and I'm not sure most voters do. So I think you know, it's a good argument, but I'm not sure it's a valid argument in, in the reality. Uh, but I do think it's important to realize that, um, to Joey's point about uh, the staff there, the, the superintendent of public instruction is really the head of the professional staff that administers education in the state of Indiana. Um, and, you know, so your choices are to have that person be elected and be that staff person or to have them be appointed by the governor and under that, that uh, situation. So I, I think that, uh, you know, if you want to bring it under the governor, that's fine. But you do have to, and I think the two things that have changed are the qualifications and the date, pushing it back to 2024, has made it more palatable to the Senate. So I do think it's going to pass. I think um, more is made of this than should be made. Uh, But I know that, as Joey said earlier, uh, Republican governors, Democrat governors have long said that this should be an appointed position. The the, uh, General Assembly has come along, uh, and I think it's going to happen this year. Uh, effective at the end of what would be two terms for the current uh, public instruction, uh, superintendent of public instruction, where she'd win in
0: four years. Do you think that voters will look favorably on this decision, or do you think it won't end up making a difference?
2: I think it won't make too much of a difference for most voters. Um, I still think the biggest thing is that teachers and administrators have got to show up and do their job and be ready to do it and be supported in doing it. So ultimately, whoever's sitting down at the state house and is making decisions about education, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it doesn't really matter, but in some ways it doesn't directly affect what people are doing on a
0: day-in and day-out basis. So, The controversy over Rickers Convenience Store's ability to sell cold beer and hard alcohol grew more contentious this week. The week began with Jay Ricker bringing his food truck to the State House, trying to highlight the point that the stores serve made to order food so they should be able to sell cold beer. Later in the week, the House adopted a floor amendment that would put a two year moratorium on all new restaurant alcohol permits for grocery, convenience, and drug stores while grandfathering in Ricker's two existing permits the Senate adopted an amendment that would bar Rickers from renewing its permits at the end of the year. It would also put more restrictions on other restaurant permit holders. A day later, the bill in the Senate passed. The bill in the House didn't get called down for a vote on deadline day. That prompted Rickers to issue a statement accusing lawmakers of, quote, thwarting the will of the people. Senate President Pro Tem David Long countered that Rickers, perhaps intentionally, sent a rocket into the state's alcohol system. Well, John Katzenberger, I'll start with this. Was Ricker's move to bring the food truck to the State House and offer free burritos to legislators and staff a smart one?
3: You know, I get the sense that uh, Ricker's maybe is overplaying its hand a little bit here. Um, I like the clever nature of that and the overture, but um, I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, after that uh, effort, um, the, the, some members, I think, in the General Assembly. You know, maybe that's when they started to rethink the position and some of the things that looked favorable for Rickers, like allowing them to have uh, the license for a longer period of time, got reined in. Uh, there may have been a cause and effect there. And, and I think the statement, and I can understand Rickers' frustration here, the statement you know, about thwarting the will of the people um, probably also overplays the hand a little bit. Um, undeniably, Rickers did what corporations and good businesses do, they found an opportunity. They exploited it legally, and uh, and that caught the attention and the ire of leadership. I think the one thing that's for certain in all of this is that um, we are finally to a point where uh, the legislature may get serious about, and probably will get serious about, looking at the uh, laws, the Section 7 of the, of the state laws about alcohol, and... Um, we may see a process that runs over the next several years now get very serious, and rightfully so, um, to review that law and make amendments and changes as necessary to bring it into the 21st century.
0: The House, uh, Ricker's uh, moves this week maybe looked good on Wednesday when the House voted to... To let them keep those two permits indefinitely as as, as they froze every other permit uh, for a grocery convenience or drugstore, but then didn't look so good on Thursday when the House took that back and couldn't even call the bill down. What happened between Wednesday's session and Thursday's well, that's,
4: session? That is a great observation, and I don't know if it was the food truck uh, indigestion, so to speak, uh, <laughs> uh, rhetorical indigestion, uh, or what, but you're right. And if you go back, you're right, that 48-hour that period was dramatic, but let's look at the past few weeks since it came to light that Jay Rickers had actually, his team had found a way to open, uh, sell cold beer in, in Columbus and Sheridan. You know, at first there was the, you know pitchforks and, and, and lighted torches ready to go and basically suggest, oh, we've got to stop this right now. And, uh, you know, there was a question whether he'd be able to keep them beyond, certainly, the renewal period now. And then, all of a sudden... There was sort of this, whether it was because of the governor saying that the ATC had not acted inappropriately, or maybe there there were some people saying, well, maybe we are free market absolutists, maybe we shouldn't be so. And the unintended consequences. And the unintended consequences with golf courses and and movie theaters and so forth. Whatever, it would look pretty good if you were Jay Record. You're thinking, okay, I'm set. And then, again, to your point, shift. Shift. You wanted me to tell you why it shifted. I can't do that, but I can confirm your, your assessment. It shifted, <laughs> it shifted dramatically, and therefore we'll say... Uh, the only thing I can think is being so high profile might not have been in that last 24-hour period such a good move because lawmakers, I don't like think, like to be...
0: Put in the spotlight.
4: Well, this, I don't know if they would like to be have their nose rubbed in burrito or anything else, uh, and this may have suggested that... By that, hey, we found the loophole, it shines a light on it, and exploit
0: it rather than just being thankful and sort of going about your business. The tone, interestingly to me, at least, shifted on Thursday from both Senator Long and Speaker Bosma, where it wasn't cold beer anymore. Because I think with the average Hoosier, it's, it's, well, they can sell beer but not cold beer. That's just stupid. But Speaker Bosma... Senator Long started talking about hard alcohol, which is part of that permit. They can sell hard alcohol for carryout, which nobody else but restaurants and liquor stores can do. Um, do you think that
1: is a more compelling argument to the average Hoosier voter? I think this is a giant distraction from bigger issues that are going that are going on in the state. This is this year's shiny object. Not to say that it's not important to to, to legislators and, and and to what they're doing. I don't want to you know I want to validate what they're you know what they're saying. However, um, I think. The majority of Hoosiers would tell you we need alcohol laws for 2017, not 1933, and so I think that's going to happen. To John's point, over the next several years, I think you'll start to see that happening. But we've got issues, you know, on the governor's agenda alone, right? The doubling of, of pre-kindergarten, working on the drug epidemic, um, opening Indianapolis more to the world through direct flights to Europe. I mean, these are these are big economic uh, kind of meat and potatoes issues for Hoosiers that I think are. are um, Are more important to the average Hoosier on the street than this.
0: A giant distraction or a worthwhile conversation?
2: I think it's a worthwhile conversation. We need to operate on a more modern, like, standard of things. You know, but, I mean, yes, there are other things to talk about, but this is something that needs to be talked about, too. So if this is where we're at with it right now, that's fine with me. I think it needs to be addressed. Um, I think we can get to everything else, too, but.
0: Senate Republicans rejected several Democratic amendments to the budget this week aimed at increasing pre-K funding. One Democratic amendment to the budget bill would have doubled pre-K funding from $10 to $20 million a year, Governor Eric Holcomb's proposal. It was defeated. Another increased funding to $40 million, also defeated. Democratic Senator Karen Tallian proposed capping the state's school voucher program at $150 million a year. Voucher spending is projected to increase to $167 million in the new budget. Tallian wants to use that money to increase pre-K. Senate budget author Luke Kenley opposed Talion's amendment and defended the voucher program spending, saying vouchers have been a stimulus for public schools to improve. John Chonis, we talked last week about Luke Kenley putting vouchers in a separate line item in the budget precisely as a way for that spending to be curbed in the future. You said that, yet he defended the program on the floor. Is he sending mi- mixed messages here?
4: I'm saying, was I right or wrong? I if think first you were you right, you absolutely right. <laughs> okay, well, let's Thank establish that. I'll, that. I'll, bring again, food, I'll bring my food truck up <laughs> and, uh, and brag a little bit. I guess uh, you can theoretically argue that, there, that he's being consistent. You can advocate for transparency and still be a believer in the policy that is being illuminated. Um, so that is the most uh, attractive characterization, I suppose, as opposed to inconsistency. Uh, The bigger issue, of course, is, you know, either you're for it or against it in terms of the notion of voucher programs and school choice, uh, publicly funded private schools. And in that regard, um, I I think it's clear Lou Kenley is supportive. He said that this is, in fact, uh, the uh, the way that it has been set up thus far, and I'm not talking about the transparency, but just the funding uh, structure, has been a good stimulus for public schools to improve. I'm not sure they have many tools. Uh, you know, the tools that they have to improve are oftentimes uh, handed out uh, the, or within the arsenal of the general assembly. So I'm not sure uh, uh, necessarily that, that that they can autonomously improve or or not. But uh, the issue is is beyond this, this this narrow transparency issue.
0: I want to get back to that point in a second. But first, John Ketzenberger. Um Brian Bosma has, has long opposed putting vouchers in a separate line item, um, and has opposed it again when the Senate did it this year. When the Senate actually did it this year, which is the first time that's happened, is what Senate Democrats did this week, exactly why Brian Bosma is going to work really hard to get it put back in the overall education pot.
3: Yes, I think that's right. Um, and, and the, you know, this issue is hard to un, unpack uh, because, you know, the vouchers are one thing. Charter schools are public schools that operate under... Uh, different rules, and that's a very different thing, Um, and where everybody stands on any of these various pieces uh, is a shifting uh, uh, puzzle, Uh, but I do think that uh, Speaker Bosma and other members of the House, most of the members of the the House, uh, would just as soon that be tucked away in the formula or in the overall funding uh, uh, figure uh, than pulled out and displayed in neon
0: Luke Kenley said that the voucher program for private schools has been a good stimulus for public schools to improve, is the, the old competition argument. Does that hold water?
2: I, no, I don't think so. I think that public schools are focusing on improving based off of who comes into their buildings, not really looking at, well, we have to make sure we are competing with these because people are going here, people are going there. It's, it's very much a this is what we're doing in our building, this is what we're doing in our district, and we need to get better at this, 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 and this. I don't really think that educators have the time to be locked up in all of this. They have students in front of them, they have papers to grade, they have tests to get ready for, they have things to do besides, well, so-and-so down the street is doing this, so we gotta have a bigger banner out front. I don't, I don't think that's how it works, so. Does
0: Kenley argument Kenley's argument hold water?
2: Look, there's there's two two significant
1: issues here, right? One is, do we fund systems or do we fund kids? And I think we've, we've decided as a state in public policy that we should fund kids and the systems then have their own pieces the next piece of it is looking at this transparency and accountability issue that you have and those are those are two different things right the department of education puts out a 120 page report on vouchers much more than you're ever going to get on charter schools or get on traditional public schools um you've got so much data you also have then from an accountability standpoint um you know schools that accept vouchers the state can start intervening after two years of a D or an F, or, you know, of a failing school. In a traditional public school, you have to wait four years of failure before the state board of education can begin to intervene. So I, I think we've we've got a big piece of policy to, to John's point point, what you were saying. And there's there's lots of there's lots of you know pieces to the puzzle here. But I think the key question here is: Do we fund systems or do we fund kids? Mm-hmm. And I think that Senator Kenley can certainly be supportive of a program. Uh, and want accountability and transparency. I mean, I'm a dad. I support my kid, but I also want her to, you know, be accountable and do the right, do the right thing. I don't think those are mutually exclusive.
4: I think public schools might say here that that uh competition notwithstanding and the spur of of uh, the market forces notwithstanding that they probably could have improved more if they had been the beneficiary of the money that has been directed to private schools. In other words, Again, it's the argument, we want to improve, but if we don't have the resources to improve, how are we going to do it? If you take it, I don't know what the tally is on how many millions of dollars have since the start of the voucher program gone, funneled down this channel.
0: It's a lot. But It's, it's a,
4: lot. a lot. And I think it <laughs> would. most people would have to agree that if that money had been directed for specific and laudable purposes into the public uh, school coffers, the good things might have occurred. But. The,
0: the, the, this has been something that the Hoosier voters, though, have supported, obviously, because, I mean, we, we've had, uh, uh, there have been law, lawmakers targeted specifically for their support of the voucher program, and that hasn't worked, as far as I know, anywhere. Although you could argue, maybe with the Tony Bennett election, uh, losing to Glenda Ritz, that might have played a role, but I don't yeah. think vouchers was at the top of that list. So, yeah. But, if they see a number as big as $167 million, which is what it's projected to go up to in this next budget. If they see that number, will that support start to lessen?
3: Well, I think it makes it, it, it requires that the supporters of vouchers will have to actually defend the number and not the theory or not the concept. And that will be more difficult. They'll have to show why it should continue to get that kind of support.
0: Right. Finally, Northern Indiana has seen a recent rash of turkeys crashing into vehicle windshields. Three turkeys, In four days. Joey Fox, how should Indiana confront this turkey crisis?
1: Like all serious crises,
0: I will suggest a summer study committee. (laughs) Uh Mark Williams, is Governor Holcomb doing enough to stop the turkey problem? Oh,
2: probably not. Probably not. <laughs> the question is whether they were acting as lone wolf turkeys or whether there was uh, a concerted effort on the part of the turkeys.
0: That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Mark Williams, Republican Joey Fox, John Schwanis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at WFYI.org slash IWIR, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana week.
1: Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.